Hi everyone, and thanks for listening. This is Greg Vitti from Real Estate Legends. I've got a classic legend today, Kevin Rocchio with Ad Properties. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So Kevin, how long have you been in real estate? This will be my 12th year. Wow, so October. you're actually a youngster in the youngster. business. You're, you're the youngest one who's been a legend so far. <laughs> oh, wow. Where'd you grow up? I was born and raised on the west side of Chicago, went to Walt Disney Magnet, and then in 77, when it was time to graduate and go to high school, my mom, who's a single parent, letter carrier, decided that I should go to school in the suburbs because she was afraid that I'd fall into the gangs and what have you. So in 77, we moved to Bellwood, and then I went to Proviso West as opposed to East. So it was a strategic move on her part because she wanted me to be more academic and not sports. And I don't know if you remember back then. Oh, East, Proviso East, East was the basketball. <laughs> exactly. Somebody, someone's when I graduated high school, right. they were incredible. Right. So it was, it was you know, East and, and St. Thomas. So East was Glenn Rivers and St. Joseph was Isaiah Thomas. So I went to West. I was a nerd. I was Steve Urkel, honor student. And actually this year I'm celebrating my 40th reunion. So when you say you were a nerd and you were an honor student, what were you studying? What what turned you on at that point? Math and science. So you are a very sharp, <laughs> articulate guy. And I could tell the way yeah. you do your business. Yeah. You're very methodical. Yeah, and, it, and it's, it's proven to be a very successful duo throughout my whole life. So after Verizon West, I went to Elmhurst College, which is now Elmhurst University, uh, double major in finance and international economics. And then from there, we went, moved out to California, worked for an investment banking firm, came back in 92 and started a career in residential lending. Did that for 17 years, retired in 2000, January 2008, right before the crash predicted the crash in an interview in 2007, took a year off trying to decide what I wanted to do. And thanks to that and Mike, they introduced me to commercial real estate. I had no idea what commercial real estate was at the time. I remember trying to figure out how do people finance buildings. But then I went to work for a national firm, Marcus and Millichap for two years with the plan to come back here. And here I am. And so how did Mike and Thad find you? Because I had been buying properties through property consultants, them and Tony DeVito. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich, Rich DeVito. DeVito. Rich DeVito. Sure. And so that's how, you know, they put me on the front page of the Tribune, you know, on a couple, couple of purchases that I did, made it into Bob's upper bracket section. So it's been an interesting run. It really is exciting when you think of how the confidence that Thad and Mike have given certain agents to totally thrive to Absolutely. spots where no one would have ever guessed. I remember when they first were starting at property. Well, actually, it was before they started at properties. And uh, I had seen Mike on the street and told him that I had some buyers for particular uh, mm-hmm. development that they were working on. And I ended up selling three or four of those. So I got to know him okay. very well. And I got to know all of the original, the Kyle Hudson, Rich. And well, I still remember some. Yeah. So it was funny. One of the deals that I had. I had done I purchased for myself and this is where I caught Mike's attention when I was I was still a lender so I bought raw space at and he still brags about this to this day I bought raw space at Park Tower for 550,000 and sold it the next day for a million one <laughs> yeah and he still talks about that in our well you, you could figure that the numbers worked <laughs> I figured it out yeah exactly once again math and science so and so your first 
So you went to Marcus and Milchek. Yeah. You worked with my friend Greg Moyer. Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay, so I went to high school with him. He's okay. going to be a it's legend also. Yeah. And they really do pound you on the the networking. Yeah, the well, well, so this is, it's interesting you say that. So even when I was a lender, you know, if you think about back in the old days, the way that you got business is as a, as a lender, you took rate sheets to real estate offices, hoped that the front desk got them in the mailboxes, and you did that repetitively. I thought that was the biggest waste of time. I have a very poor interpersonal skill level when it comes to making small talk. I'm not that person. And so I had to quickly figure out how to do something different. And so what I did at that time is I went and signed up all the unions in Chicago, created a mortgage program within each union just for their members. Fast forward to Marcus Millichap, you are supposed to make 200 phone calls a day. I was not a person that could do, I learned how to do it. I learned that I didn't like doing it. So once again, thinking outside the box, okay, what do I need to do? All right, I'm going to go after the residential brokers and teach them to ask their clients one question. Do you have a commercial real estate game? And if the answer is yes, just make the introduction and I'll take it from there. And we pay very lofty referral fees as a result. And that's how I built Rock Advisor Group. Fantastic. And you know, that's the old adage. It's really refer. Yeah. Who knows who right. and who do, who do they already feel comfortable with? Correct. So if they feel comfortable with your friend and your friend saying you're the guy, that's really a layup. Yep, exactly. And, and so I, you, I have to deliver. Then you have to deliver by your pricing and analyzing. Right. And and I know you're very good at that. So you've, you've been in 12 years, so two years at Marcus, actually 10 years now at, mm -hmm. at Properties. Mm -hmm. And then how long did it take you to become number one at, at Properties Commercial? Um, it took me three years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, three so years you have a lot of processes, I imagine. Yeah. Once again, it was the group at the time. You did everything old school, old handshakes, old friends, and what have you. But no one was really meeting with the agents, teaching the agents. I would conduct classes on, back then it was Twitter, it was social media, you know? And so one of the things I, you give to get, the other part of it was that I also realized that not every realtor is going to want to refer their client to me. And that's okay. But if they are gonna do the deal, they need to know what they're doing. So then I took it upon myself to also teach how I underwrite, what to look for, what are the economic drivers, what are the re revenue drivers. And I do that, and I do that consistently. As a matter of fact, I'm doing an eight-week class starting Wednesday here again for newer agents on how to underwrite two to four and five-plus apartment buildings. Now, at the end of the day, one agent may decide, wow, this is way too much. I'm just going to refer and maybe shadow, and that's okay. And then others may say, I got this, I can do it. At the end of the day, I look at it like this. There are enough tables and enough seats out there for everyone. And I don't need to be all things to all people. Fantastic. No. So right now, do you work more on the listing side or the buying side? That's a very good question. So this year I have shifted. I have shifted the business more so to work with buyers than sellers. In years past, I've been predominantly working with sellers. And the reason why is because if underwritten right, you can probably get a higher price than what someone who didn't underwrite the asset correctly would get in the marketplace. I've shifted to buyers because now sellers have unex unrealistic expectations for their assets. And well, so- That sure is true in residential <laughs> right now, especially first time buyer yeah. stuff. You go and see all the things that your money really can't buy. Right. Yeah. And if you've been in real estate a long time, 
and you see what you know 350 to 400 buys you it's hard to tell someone yes yeah you know what else i've noticed i feel like so many people were sold bad information because of the internet they really believe that they yes. don't need an agent they don't really absolutely they, they believe they don't need us they already have an attorney they already have this they make a really bad move and then they don't fix the place up right, right. And then they expect it to go out there absolutely and, and they don't even look at the common area things yeah. like and and i see that in commercial too yeah, like absolutely like guys let's clean this up yeah. I, I, you haven't cleaned the windows in this building <laughs> since you owned it <laughs> you know let's go back to right, 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 right. so you're into add value by it's a combination of add value and turnkey you know but it's just making sure that an asset's being purchased for the proper reason and then also making sure that they're going to run it the proper way so that five years from now, when you're looking to exit, they can exit based on some assumptions. Because the one thing about commercial real estate versus residential, residential tends to be more emotionally driven. Commercial is financially driven. And if you run your model correctly, you can predict within a pretty good target of where the property is going to trade at any point in the future, you know, provided you've done the proper things annually to manage. The That's what I was going to say. That's the, for me, I think a lot of people figure the numbers and a cap rate's one thing, but if the roof needs to be redone and that's not figured into the numbers, you got to figure that into the numbers if the windows are old. So I feel like that's where a good keen eye to know what are you really looking for? Absolutely. And I know that that- And I don't have all the answers. I I can't tell you a lot of times a property manager with me because like, especially on the initial interview or initial tour of the building, because a lot of times they catch things that I miss you know, I know how to look at the superficial, you know, which is the lipstick, but they know how to peel that lipstick back and say, well, the windows are clean, but you know, those are, those were done in 1960 and you need to update. Right. <laughs> those actually are lead-based paint windows. <laughs> right. so, and every time you open and close them, you get lead-based paint in the room. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things that I pride myself in is that having a background in construction for so many years, I didn't realize it would segue so well. To Absolutely. So what did your father do? Keep in mind, my mother and father were always separate. He, re- he was an engineer for Ryerson Steel, but we, I grew up without him. So did you have a father figure? No. So that must have my mother impacted. Your mother was unbelievable, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, she yeah. still is. Yeah, to this so day. she's definitely. Everyone a, knows Mama Rocio in the industry. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah. And so she's still involved with the post office? No, she retired. So she retired in, God, I don't know, the early uh, late 80s. Yeah, she retired in the late 80s. But she must really be proud of you yeah, and I your accomplishments. Think, I think so. <laughs> you know, I was a good boy. I was a mama's boy, you know, and still is to this day. So everything I did, I did make sure it wouldn't break her heart. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah, you know, your mother's your mother's appreciation and love, and and it it's one of the things that I think as a human being we crave to do to make our mom respect us. Absolutely. absolutely. And so you've done a nice job. Yeah, so I where does she live now? She still resides in Bellwood. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, as much as we I try to say, well, let's move. Nope, it's close to the church because her church is on the, on the west side. So she's like, nope, I'm only 18 minutes from the church. Like, I don't want to move any further. <laughs> so she's stubborn in her right, way. Right. But that's one of the things she's a that Taurus. probably made you. <laughs> what, what sign are you? Capricorn. Okay. Yeah. Let's say there's an agent out there that's thinking of, he's a residential agent, mm-hmm. or she is, and thinking of going to commercial. Give him some of the thoughts that you would. So for an agent who's currently a residential broker, I would say the, the worst thing you can do is 
say, I'm going to switch to commercial. I think that's the worst mistake you can make. And the reason why is because you're basically going to go back to ground zero and you got to build and start all over. And your database that you have now, residential, in there, maybe 10% are commercial people. So you got to build that other 90% out. I think the smarter thing would be to learn a skill set and whether that skill set is how to write, underwrite two to four investment properties and start adding to your repertoire as you move through your career. I think that's smarter. Partnering with a commercial broker, someone who does it on a full, full-time basis, maybe co-list with them, you know, when you have a list, bring them in because, you know, they can be responsible for doing the underwriting until you feel completely comfortable. But, and I think that would be the right way. And even like for myself, I'm a commercial broker who gets a lot of my commercial clients with residential needs. You will never see me selling a condo. You will never see me selling a single family home. I refer that all out. And then what I used to do is I used to refer out all my two to four units as well. But now I use those as teaching tools and identify young, aggressive brokers here that I see are that are running a clean business and I bring them on as juniors so that they learn so they can go after that business on themselves. One in particular, like here at, at properties, his name is Mike Rasmussen. I've worked with him on multiple deals. Clients love him. We actually have two new listings that we're going to be doing this week. And it's exactly it. He's because of that, he's gone on his own and, and captured his own listings for two to fours, you know, and I still maintain my client relationship. And, and yet he's a junior and he does everything that, you know, showings, inspections. It's fantastic. I always love the two to fours. I, yeah. I first got into real estate. That's basically, I would try to convince people, don't buy a candle, buy a two to four unit. That's where house hacking comes and in. And at that point, you know, you could get something between right. 125 and 275. Yeah, absolutely. There were three flats. Yep. And they make it, sense. And now they're all worth five, six, eight hundred thousand. At least. I mean, and it's still I, I that's another class I teach. I teach how how to house hack, you know. And I can't tell you how many of the agents here who were newer agents and within two years they have their first two flat and or three flat and they've gone from there. And then same thing, they teach their clients on how to do that because you don't wake up one minute morning and say, I want to buy a twenty unit building and I got the money to do it. Because of process. And that process right. is usually owning two to fours or a couple two to fours to get that experience on your belt and then you leverage up. Well, when you get those first calls from a tenant that wants to bully you or, and you jump and you're scared and right. you finally get a little thicker skin right. or even better, you've fixed the building to a point where you know yeah. when someone calls you and they see their problems, well, I know that's a brand new heating system right. and this Absolutely. and this and this yeah. and you can almost eliminate it in your head and know right away what it is. Absolutely. So have you ever managed the property? So I am one of these people that Let's go back to my lack of interpersonal skills. I don't like people. <laughs> That's how I explain to people. So I'm not the right person to be managing. So no, I've never managed. I have great people. We, family-wise, we own just under 2,000 doors throughout the United States. The largest hub being in Detroit. My meeting with Bruce today was because we're looking at another large asset and he's helping guide because it's a receivership, receivership situation. you know. But in all cases, everything's managed by outside agencies. Fantastic. That's smart. At least you know where you're at. So then why, since we've met each other, have you always been so friendly and nice and seeming like you have such great people skills? <laughs> <laughs> because, well, and I think because it's, it's genuine. I, I was explaining to someone last week, you very rarely see me at industry events. You very rarely see me, even though people say I'm out all the time, I'm, I'm out working. 
you know, and I'm working. So when you see me with residential agents or lenders, I'm working because those are my clients, you know, but, and these are people that I want to be around. What I don't like is people coming around, puffing their chest out, telling me how great they are, and that's just not me. And so, so why am I so nice? I'm so nice because I'm in control. And I think people that have a bad attitude is because they don't have, they have a sense of control. I control everything around me. And so I am happy. If I don't like something, I change it to make me happy. And that's how I've always lived. Even as a kid, while my cousins and everybody were playing basketball, I was sitting there trying to figure out how to own the team. <laughs> All right. That's the difference, though. That's fantastic. So where do you live? I live in Naperville. I moved out of the city. That's right. And so you have a single family house? Uh, townhome. So townhome. townhome that Bob Rancos' father built. You're kidding. No, that's how, that's how long, I mean, it's old school. I mean, there, there's a real estate legend that denied that's, us. That's, he denied you? He denied oh, us. I he said he, changed. Doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. Bob, call Greg. <laughs> <laughs> K-Rock said so. <laughs> so. No, know. he's, he's, no, let's talk about, that. let's talk about true legend. Bob Rehnquist Jr. is probably one of the best developers in the city. I've been a fan of his since you know, the nineties. Well, I remember when their first developments came up, they were just so much cooler right. than everybody else's. Yep, yep. And so I remember asking him one day, do you have much to say about these designs? And he said, hell no. When you have a really good architect, you let them go. <laughs> right, exactly. And then you just leave them and let them go. That is one brand that just blows me away. And yeah. I mean, and he consistently blows my mind. You know, now converting these whole churches or synagogues or whatever they are into apartment is brilliant. I mean, it is absolutely. brilliant. Yeah. yeah, that's a really cool uh, absolute ad use. And that's a, that's a niche to the market that's not there. No one else is doing it that I'm aware of. So what's the largest uh, referral you've ever gotten? Canelli Square. Wow. So that was referred. So Canelli Square before the deconversion was referred by a residential broker who was selling a couple of condos in there. So we, my partner and I at the time, she could, we met with the board, started the process of the idea of the deconversion. And, and then when it came time to hire a broker, you know, we were the first ones they came to, but obviously there's too many moving parts there. And so I, I actually backed away from being considered and they went out to the marketplace and they chose Abyssinia, but that was the first one. And then Century Tower, River City, Came Did in. you sell River City to no, Rutherford? No, uh, but but that was one of them that came, that was in those conversations. I walk and I know what my limitations and my firm's limitation is. And so I will I will consult with the boards and everything, but I usually will pull back and act more as an advisor to the board while the brokers are doing what they're doing. So I have secretly, so that's funny you bring it up. I have secretly been the advisor paid by the board, the association, during contracts for acquisition, just so they can get a, a well, third. Now that I, I forgot that that's how we really right, started exactly. talking was a kind of yep. deconversion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and that's what I said to you, think bigger. Yeah. You brought me a high rise right. and I, I had a buyer for it, but we didn't quite <laughs> right. get it done. Exactly. I'm sure we're going to get someone. Well, absolutely. But yeah, but so that's, a, you know, and that even to this day, you know, Barry Quad was another one that I was brought in on and then you know we we had to step away just because of the, but that's another one you know but I stayed in contact with that whole board throughout the entire process before it was sold you know and so so how about like apartment building what's the the most doors you've sold in one building 42 yeah I think 42 most so of the like sweet 1920s building yeah the sweet spots tends to be between 25 35 units 
for building. Yeah. But I don't even do. So the other thing is, so let's go back to me leaving the city. I moved away from the city in 2019 just because of where the changes of the city. I now refer out most listings for apartment buildings in the city. I don't really, I don't really, I'm not really getting involved in it. Like I'm working in bigger deals like right now in the city with, you know, we're doing a 45,000 square foot lease, 15 year lease in Naperville, you know, things like that. I'm evolving, we're doing this, we're working with the buyers that are putting in this second studio on the south side, which has been all over the paper the last couple of days, or the last couple of weeks. So I'm doing those things. Those things excite me more so than the individuals. So I, I refer a lot of a lot of deals out to other brokers who are very good in those respective areas. Sometimes it is at properties and sometimes it's not at properties. Well, that's good to hear. I still have a chance. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you don't even co-list, you just refer it out? I just refer it out. No. Smart. Kevin, mm. during the pandemic, mm. how did you see that affecting your business? And I know that you did very well mm. during it. So how did it work out for you? So, you know, keep it. So I have, to, I have to look at the pandemic on multiple fronts. As a broker, one on the real estate side as an owner, and then from the standpoint of running retail businesses. So, you know, the George Floyd situation screwed up a lot of things that the looting and all that that we weren't anticipating, but we had to shift in and adapt. On the broker side, I did all my showings virtually. So we, you know, and that's something that I always, prior to this back up, prior to the pandemic, the one thing about all my videos or all my listings is that you could take a 3D tour and you could take a video tour of my properties. And the reason why is because my client base are all over the world. And so we went into it with the attitude that if someone is in London looking at us building on the South Side, they need to be able to walk the property check out the roof, check out and all that. So we were already- See it at three in the morning. Exactly. So we were already doing that. The reason why we were so successful is because more buyers took to the internet. Whereas before it was still, let's fly in, this time we were able to move quicker because buyers didn't come here. They couldn't come here. You were already there. We are already there. So you really just accentuated that whole idea. Exactly. It just worked out well. The one thing that shocked me though was the- residential side and how much volume create people, you know, and I guess the part that I anticipate that people were gonna have to work from home and so they needed more space and the spaces they had probably wasn't big enough. And so they went out and purchased that. I didn't expect, I couldn't forecast that, but I would say going forward this past year, people have been buying out of FOMO, fear of missing opportunities. There has been a shortage of inventory, but I think like Lincoln Park or Lakeview had a 49% spike in this things year over year. That's not a good sign. You know, and I tell people, don't let your emotions drive your pricing because I think you're going to get caught. You can tell with the developers, that, and especially in Lakeview, they've gotten very smart. Yeah. What used to be six and a quarter is now 450, yeah. 475, yeah. and they don't care yeah. because the numbers just don't work. Right. And then when exactly. you add the building costs yeah. on there. Absolutely. So your day, did you leave Naperville much during the pandemic? Um, I would still come in the office, not here. I would come to go to our uh, Elmhurst office and work just to get out of the office. And I still do that. Like I'm here today because I have tours this afternoon and then I won't be back in the city for the rest of the week. Okay. Yeah. So a normal day, what time do you get up in the morning? Four. And then what do you do for your first hour? Emails. So what I like to do, once again, because clients are in other countries, I do all the emails between four and five. I'm in the gym at five and then back home by six. 
then dog take care of him me ready and I'm ready. so with the gym what do you do for workout so tuesday and thursday have private training and then saturday and sunday is strictly cardio and then what monday and fridays is weights free weights wednesday is my only day off so you work out six days a week mm-hmm. do you meditate no do you read much i read all the time i joke about it because someone someone posted something the other day and said millionaires read at least half hour a day and i sh- Put on my schedule because I actually have a lot. I'm like, I should be rich by now. <laughs> you are rich, by but I re- I read a lot. So you know the thing is, going back to school, I was a I was an honor student who never paid attention to school, and used to throw the teachers off. But I'm that nerd that would sit in the corner at home and just read and read. I you know, even in college, I would go to first day to get the syllabus, then go back and take the test. At the first year, they would like they brought my mom in like we have to downgrade him, you know, lower him because he won't attend classes. He gets all A's, but and my mom's like, no, you're not going to do that. He, 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 if he can get this work done, what does he need to be in the class for? And that's, <laughs> all right. And it's the same thing here. I mean, like, oh, she's using logic and reason. I mean, that's, yeah. that's where it comes from. And that's how it is. And it's the same thing in, in the business. I read. I can't tell you how much I read. And I would say I don't read just real estate related. I read human related because human related articles also can give you an indication on what's happening in the real estate world. So you're really trying to forecast and where's the best places to buy why what where exactly where, what are human beings doing what just people, like what are they spending their money on what restaurants are they yeah. who would have guessed the civil unrest and really it was only two major yep. times was enough to switch so many people to leave streeterville yep. in river north me being one of them and go into the suburbs i talked to this one gentleman in Holland park he was like my house was on the market for two years i never had an offer my first offer was full price cash offer. <laughs> Couldn't wait to th- get My it. first thing was like, why would you offer full price cash <laughs> if you're the buyer? But that's how bad. Right. And, and, and so everything switched, like totally switched. The thing is, and I know this is, this is going to be taken the wrong way, but this is just my opinion. I, so when Google opened up, one of the things they had, they would bring in all these different people to speak. And I, we were at a, I was at a panel meeting where there was, three residential brokers, two residential attorneys, and me as a commercial. And everybody was explaining why you you should buy, you should buy, you should buy. And I said like this, and I'm paraphrasing, I would not be a buyer of single family residential real estate in Chicago if I was under the age of 35. And everyone looked at me, you know, and everyone at the panel was like, oh, you're only subsidizing the mismanagement of the city. That's, at the end of the day, that's all this is. It is unbelievable how much the taxes have become. It's all this. And I'm not, you know, I do believe you should own real estate. I do believe if you're under 35, you are in your career building years, you should own a two to four unit in this city. I think it's one of the greatest cities and one of the cheapest cities to bring your housing costs next to nothing, but I wouldn't own a single family. And I see that happening. I have a friend of mine now who lives in River North and he's missed three job opportunities to transfer and he wants to leave, but he can't leave because he can't sell and he doesn't want to be. He'd rather just stick this out. He does work remotely, so it's not a big deal. But, you know, owning a single family residence, that's what your limitation is. If you own an investment property, you could then just run out your space and move on. Or you can yeah, have something manage it for yeah. You can actually do that with a single family, too, but you, you don't can't think do it old uh, No, you, so here's the thing. In the old, if you'd have a single family home, yes. But if you live in a high-rise condo building, you know, you don't know what the rent caps and all that. So you can't just arbitrarily. Our, our building, they're in a lot. Right. A lot of people are taking hits because of that. Yeah. 
because we've got studios and, and one yeah. bedrooms yeah. and we're right by Northwestern and everything mm -hmm. else. And the board's attitude is tough. Absolutely. A lot of people are taking a hit and you're going to take, take a one hit. Too. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. with this whole civil unrest mm -hmm. and all these drive-by shootings, mm -hmm. we've got a lot of people are actually carjacking. That, yeah. I know I heard that they that we've got 40 new police officers that are just handling the carjackings and they have gone down a lot. But do you feel like that is affecting it, our business? Anyone that's, any, I'm very candid. Why would I move to River North, Streeterville, Gold Coast, pay these high prices and be subjected to that? What's well, funny because I don't feel it. I, no, I, I don't feel it at all. Well, you don't. See, I like, and I tell people all this, I say, here's the, and I'm glad to hear you said that. So here's the thing. For me as an African-American, I feel it. I mean, I feel it. I feel the tension on me when I'm just sitting because you don't know who don't know me. Look at this and you're a little unguarded and it puts you in a different position. That's the same way. I, when I was living in Streeterville, I would have people that actually would. Now, I've lived, lived there forever. I would have people actually walk across the street to rather than walk past, not for any other reason. And I knew what it was. It was this that they saw. That's how bad it's gotten down here. It's so serious. Yeah, and so the reality is, I, you know, because we don't. I know this is like we go to wildfire. All yeah. Time. Now, if you go to wildfire for dinner, it's all African Americans. Yeah. And when I was walking to wildfire the other day, mm -hmm. I was going through by the bars, predominantly yeah. African Americans. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, wow, River North has definitely come up with a lot more African Americans or the white people are just right, living right. here. No, no, and so it makes it makes it puts people on edge. I mean, it just, you know, it's Yeah, it is so sad that we're so late in this. It's 2021. Right, yeah. And we're still talking about basic stuff like you walking down the street right. and people feeling uncomfortable yeah. because of the color of your skin. Yeah. Like it's hard for us. Absolutely. The way we think to even imagine that that's true. Listen, last night I'm on my neighbor's couch with my feet, my my shoes off, me and my dog, and you know, and the wife is across on, on the the chains, and we're just sitting there talking. That's how it should be everywhere, but unfortunately, it's not. You know. Yeah. How do we How do we become trailblazers to? Really I don't know. I wish I knew the answer. I wish I knew the answer. So, do you give back? You do so. I do. I, I would think you do charity. Yeah, I do. Prior to the pandemic, I would always pick a charity. And for two years, I would run with it, do their signature annual fundraiser. And then things throughout the year. The Albany Park Community Center was the last one I did before the pandemic. The one I had chosen was Shriners. I was going to do that one. Because you wanted to ride in the little cars. And But then but then what happened, you know, pandemic. And so I just... I try to do things that periodically. A couple of agents in that properties just started a new nonprofit, and I probably would latch on with them just because the time being is just easier. Yeah. Fantastic. So, what do you see the new trends coming out of the uh, pandemic? In real so, estate? I would say from the industrial standpoint, we're seeing a lot of uh, I call it the Amazon effect. Oh, okay. yeah. And so that's something I see is continuing. One of the bigger trends, though, is shopping malls. I was out by me, Fox Valley. They're tearing down half and they're putting up apartments. They're doing that at North... Uh, at North Court. I was there. Court. I was up there at the uh, Italian restaurant uh, about a month ago. And I forget the name of it. De Parma, whatever it is. And, yeah. and I'm like, whoa. I mean, it's crazy. But I think that's actually pretty smart. And then I also see a lot of outlots, shopping centers being built up. Oakbrook is bringing restoration hardware. Not the ones from Four Arts or the Three Arts, but the ones that they have in Palm Beach and New York. The big freestanding with restaurants and sky decks and everything. And then 
Lifetime just put their biggest and most expensive gym in Oak Brook, you know, and so, which was the old one of the parking lots. And I see that's what I see a lot of going on. So you're seeing a lot of repurposing with yeah. the shopping centers. I know that industrial last year, my friend Dan is the manager at Everson and Young. Okay. And he told me that two years before, office just killed it. They had the best year in 12 years. They put everybody in the long leases. And then last year, they did absolutely no office. But their industrial was so good that they pounded their past right. sales. And I know that Dissy's uh, group at Collier's mm -hmm. did a billion dollars in, wow. in industrial wow. in one year. And the other one thing is, you're going to see a lot of repurposing of office buildings downtown too, in hotels. There's a huge, there's a huge rental need, but we won't see workers going back in droves. So who are all these buyers that are coming here to fill up like Chicago place? Their, their average with their sales are between 1.67 million to 28 million. Yeah. I imagine some of your clients. So would they be interested in a condo right there in Streeterville? So it depends, you know, it's interesting. A lot of clients would place money because they needed to park in, that, in real estate. Chicago still hasn't proven itself yet in that 10 million plus arena. You've had a few, you had the 850 Lakeshore Drive at 12 or 11 something. You have Ken Griffith. You had the nine Walton. The nine Walton, which it's been interesting. So as great of a building was being sold, I'm now noticing a lot of resales, and that's the part that I'm trying to wrap my head around. The Hayden's another one. There's people are reselling, and I. Yeah, if you buy this big, beautiful place right. that you make custom for yourself, you, why are you're you probably going to stay there 10, right? 20 years, right? Why are you selling? Yeah, and so that's what I'm trying to. Is it because that money's leaving, and the people that are buying is you know what I call the come ups? I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's so bizarre because. The media is definitely confusing. Mm -hmm. They're telling us that everybody's moving out of the city, moving out of the city. But now I'm close on selling a couple high rises and the people that are showing us the high rises are telling us we are getting people moving in from all over the country right. here. I don't know what the hell the media is talking about. I don't so know. it's really a, a dichotomy that you see right now. It is, it is. We are still cheaper than New York. What are your hobbies? I don't have one. Your hobbies are work and My reading. Work and and reading. Those are your main things. Yeah. Between Kilwins and real estate, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, the days go by fast. We want to thank you, Kevin, for coming out and talking with us and uh, continued luck and success in this new year and uh, coming up. I know that we're always thinking quarterly, right. but we're almost halfway there on this one. Amazing. Okay, Kevin, thank you. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back in touch with you soon.